Welcome to the follow-up podcast. My name is Hayden. I am the worship director here at Arbor Church. And today I am joined by Michael Solis, our children's director, and Ryan Plants, our lead pastor and speaker from Sunday. Uh, if you haven't been joining us in person or watching online, you might not be aware that we are in a series called Resilient Joy, where we're studying the book of Philippians, and we are in week four or five. Week four, now. yeah. Week four, yeah. Um, where are we at in the scripture right now, Ryan? Yeah, so we just wrapped up chapter one last week, and we started chapter two this past week. We made our way through verses one through 11. Nice. Yeah. I asked the question because I uh, printed out the wrong reference, so I was honestly asking you where we're at because I'm not sure. Because you're having to yeah. find it real quick. Yeah, yeah I'm totally. Like, yep. I thought we were already in chapter four, but we're clearly no, not. No, we still have a ways to go to get yep. to chapter four. We'll get there sometime uh, late November. Mm-hmm. The 20-week series, right? 27. 27-week yeah. yeah. series. Yeah. yeah, man, I need to really be on top of that. Yep. So um, <laughs> a through line that we've had in this series so far um, has just been this sentence, a supernatural delight in the people, promises, and presence of God. Yeah. And that's made an appearance every, almost every week, I believe. I think right? so, yeah. Um, I just want to get into that because I've obviously, it's now becoming a pattern. When did yeah. that, um, that through line become a part of the research or um, was it something that week one you're like, yeah, this is going to be where we're heading? Yeah, I think uh, at a certain point I came across that definition and um, I'll have to look back and find kind of where in my notes I came across that. But I think um, sort of theologically what we see is that that's what joy is. Joy is this, it's supernatural, A, in that um, God is the one who brings the joy. Uh, mm-hmm. The joy is rooted in God. It's it's an otherworldly source of joy. Um, and then, you know, the reason why I love the definition was that it, it spells out those sources um, that 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 joy, that true true delight, is found in God's presence first and foremost. But we also see that it's found in His promises made to us throughout Scripture, all of which find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. What Paul wrote to the Colossians. Um, but we also see that um, the uh, people of God are to be a source of joy mm-hmm. because this faith, our journey, is not meant to be done individually on our own. It's yeah. meant to be done in community. And we see that in uh, Paul's letter, that Paul has the supernatural delight in the presence of God as he's isolated, mm-hmm. stuck in prison. Uh, but he also reminds the Philippians of God's promises that he who, who began a good work in you will be sure to complete it uh, at the day of mm-hmm. Christ Jesus. I mean, that is a promise that we have from the Lord that we can lean into. Um, and he emphasizes over and over again the joy that he has in the fellowship with the Philippian believers. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's where that came from. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, getting into uh, Sunday's message a little bit more, um, you had you had opened up not right off the bat, but um, kind of in the opening uh, part of your message, you defined status and then hopped into a quote from W. David Marks, no w. relation to Carl. David, yeah, um, no relation. Well, at least as far as I know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. He did not allude to it at all in his biography of any sorts. But you know, it's a pretty common last name. Yeah, yeah. makes you think. Mm-hmm. Um, what what uh. <laughs> What led? Sorry, <laughs> uh, what led to um, you kind of diving into status and then following it up with that quote for this message? Yeah, what led to that? Yeah. Um, so um, in in preaching every week, um, what I try to do is I try to um, come at each text from the angle of what. What pro- not every week, but most weeks. What what problem is mm-hmm. this text speaking to in yeah. our hearts and in our lives, or what 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 are we believing that is contrary to yeah. what what Scripture is telling us in this moment? Mm-hmm. And that book, I I was talking to Allison about this 
book this morning. Uh, I don't know how I stumbled across it. I did not start reading it because of Philippians. Mm-hmm. Uh, something about the book was really interesting. I might have read read about it in a magazine. And uh, so I got it from the library and yeah. I started reading it. And not only was it really interesting, but as I was thinking through Philippians, as that thought kind of cra- crossed my mind, I was like, well, this really speaks to that question, what is what is my posture? Yeah. And in our world, our posture is um, seeking status. Uh, I think it's really interesting. I didn't mention this in the sermon, but I think it's interesting that one of the first ways that social media prompted us to kind of post an update was what's your status? Yeah. Do you remember that? Like on mm-hmm. Facebook, I think yep. it was, yep. or, you know, like what's your status? Like, and we call them status updates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, you know, embedded in our culture and in our way of living is this idea of like, where are you at in life? How are you doing? What does it look like? And social media is obviously like, one of the main ways mm-hmm. where we try to express our status, whether we recognize it or not, like, hey, I'm leading a good life. Life is good. And mm-hmm. we we kind of throw it up there. I think it can be used for really good purposes. Yeah. And it can be used to to be involved in other people's lives and share what's going on. Uh, but but I also think that there's obviously, as we all know, a very kind of like darker side mm-hmm. to, to social media and sort of the affirmation that we seek for our own status uh, with the things that we post and share and like. Did you, uh, when I was, I had a, this, this was a great week for me because in part I got to listen to some in person and then in part I followed up later yeah. listening after the fact. And Ryan, would you say that there was part of your teaching on status that was uh, the pursuit of wealth and the dangers of that as well? Yeah. I mean, I think the the pursuit of status can come in all sorts of mm-hmm. d- different ways. And wealth is certainly one of them where um, we can seek wealth and the signifiers of wealth, whether that's through our vehicles or our vacations or the clothes that we wear um, as, as like, hey, this is where I am in the status hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I remember thinking, I remember hearing that. I thought that, would, that is excellent. And it's, it's, uh, it's something that we need to be aware of. And I, I, I remember thinking, I think I want to ask you, do you see that there is also a danger of, and this almost is like a different sermon, I think, of not making sure that you are clear on your debt as well. And what I mean by that is I've found myself going, there is part of this thing of not seeking wealth that is that can be dangerous because there's a sense of like, I find my, my self-purpose in that individualism, that status, and there's a danger there. But then there's also a danger in our society I've, I've noticed of going, if you haven't cleared the debt that you have, that is almost runs counter to seeking wealth in a sense. I don't know if you're following me on that. Are you talking I, debt like like monetarily? Yep, yep. Because oh, if, okay. if we're talking okay. status and the pursuit of yes. wealth, okay, yeah. then I thought the flip side of that coin is if you are in debt and you're mm-hmm. going, well, it's all good because Jesus got me covered and I'm mm-hmm. not I'm not seeking wealth, so I'm not worried about my status in that yeah. sense. Yeah, I mean, I would say it is a separate sermon because what you're getting at is the idea of stewardship. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, and if you are indebted um, mm-hmm. and you're not working to pay off that debt, then, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, we're talking about a completely... I don't know. I mean, I think we're talking about a different heart issue at that point. Yeah, for sure. And and, for, well, and the reason why I bring that up is because there's this really weird thing where it's almost like if you're doing well, mm-hmm. then you don't want to be seeking too much wealth. But mm-hmm. if you are in debt, mm-hmm. then you need to get that covered so yeah. you can be at least baseline. I think it's definitely... And my phone is going off because I didn't silence. <laughs> oh, that is a guys. cardinal sin. I am fine yeah. again. Yeah, oh, that's all good. Um, well, and I think I think what Ryan said stewardship, and I think it's also we've we've talked about how Philippians is really highlighting a lot of tensions, and mm-hmm. I think it's 
that would be the the swing of the pendulum, right? Of mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to stockpile all this wealth and be so concerned about money that I don't actually even care if I have debt or if I have, um, you know, the resources to make things happen. So I think it's being aware of that pendulum of like, yeah, it is really easy to then start making decisions for the financial consequences, mm-hmm. positive or negative, but it's that tension of also being a good steward, right? Well, yeah. yeah. And and so, I mean, I guess, Michael, are you asking, are you wondering, like, is it wrong to then get a job and make money? Well, and that's the, that is kind of where my brain went, right? Like there's on the, on the one hand, depending on how you're viewing the scripture, you can look at it and go, well, maybe I have debt and and maybe it's even good debt. Like you went Mm -hmm. to school and Mm -hmm. you're covering things and you're like, but you know what? I'm not pursuing the status. I'm not pursuing um, uh, monetary gain, and so I think I'm I'm doing well right now when it comes to the status world. Mm. So. Well, I mean, it's a matter of the heart, ultimately. Sure, you know, and we are called to work. We are. I mean, it's 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 part of like God's goal in creation. Like, work isn't a curse. Work is cursed now as a result of the fall. But work is a good thing, and it's a good thing to go out and work and work for the glory of God and work for the benefit of others. And by God's grace, um, hopefully, your job pays you money, yeah. and you use that money to pay off the debts. I mean, totally. you know, I think Paul also speaks to that in Thessalonians, where the Thessalonian believers were like, Jesus is coming back, so we don't have to do X, Y, and Z. And Paul's like, no, that's laziness, that's slothfulness. Yeah. So I think like just because someone is out there working hard does not mean that they are pursuing status or wealth. Those things are not um, uh, necessarily like connected or correlated mm-hmm. that way. Yeah, for sure. And that's that's the difference I was hoping to just come to. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Yeah. Which. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Michael, for that. Um, going back to the <laughs> manuscript. You then kind of move, I don't even know where this is technically at in the message, but um, you move towards the the points of the foundation of humility, or unity is humility. Mm-hmm. You kind of spend time in this um, conversation about unity and humility and how mm-hmm. those go hand in hand. Um, but you had started out with um, obviously talking about status and um, kind of recapping what we've talked about. Was this pretty evident in your, your early start of um, research that this was going to be a humility um, and or unity message when you were looking through the text? It was, it was definitely going to be focused on humility. I think what we saw was a bit of a through line with respect to yeah. our posture. Mm-hmm. And we saw Paul digging deeper uh, by chapter two on our posture. Yeah. Um, we see it, you know, um, multiple times in the text yeah. and in particular with um, Jesus Christ, uh, yeah. who kind of uh, brought forward by Paul as an example. Um, you know, he says he humbled himself. Yeah. And, um, you know, you see throughout throughout God's word, um, this call to be humble, to um, uh, essentially uh, achieve unity yeah. through through that humility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting um, in your message, you had, you had talked about um, also pride as well. And mm-hmm. you talked about the window and the mirror. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that you'd, you'd kind of said like, this isn't humility, this example that you laid out. Mm-hmm. Um, one that I was curious about your thoughts on is, um, where would you put like self deprecation or even the self deprecating humor in the line of humility? Cause I think that's something that's very common in our culture today is self deprecation or even just using it to disarm somebody in a conversation. Um, it's very common for us to do that. 
Yeah, again, it comes down to a matter of the heart. Yeah. And so I, I think that any time that we are expressing a low view of ourselves out yeah. of a sense of insecurity, yeah. and if that's where our self-deprecation is um, mm. stemming from, then that is essentially pride. Yeah. That's that's the that's the twisted version of pride because essentially what we're doing is we're focusing on ourselves. Yeah. But when we are um uh, I, perhaps I'd use a different phrase than self-deprecating when it's yeah. coming from uh, a pure motive. I would say that we're being self-effacing. Yeah, that's a different that's a different um, way of saying that. And I yeah. think that when we are um, doing that, uh, I think it's this sense of we're we're being kind of lost in the mix, yeah. or we're sort of taking a background mm-hmm. seat. Uh, in in the interaction, yeah. And when that happens, I think that there's benefit in that we're trying to elevate mm-hmm. others, we're trying to put others' needs before our own, we're we're putting yeah. others' interests before our own. Mm-hmm. I think for me, um, it'd be helpful just to kind of get your guys' uh, thoughts or observations on it. But I think looking at scripture and being raised in a t- time period that's very different from where the author was writing, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if I have the the clearest view of what genuine humility looks like or to have christ-like humility i i I see self-deprecation i see also um people just being like probably too honest and brutal on themselves and and saying that they're bad at this or not good at this or there's a bad person what is um i guess what is genuine honest humility look like in my day-to-day life or for you guys your day-to-day lives of kind of keeping that posture and I'll I'll follow that question up with didn't you was it was it Paul that you said compared himself to being a slave? Yeah. Yep, there you go. I thought that was spot on with yeah. the, with the question you're asking. Yeah. I think I think um it's one of those things where when you encounter a humble person, mm-hmm. you know it when you see it. Mm-hmm. You know it when you yeah. encounter that person. Uh, because that person um, does not take center stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that I think being humble in our day-to-day lives. I think C.S. Lewis put it best. Um, it is not thinking less about ourselves, but yeah. it's thinking about ourselves less. Yeah. Love that. And I think when I think when we're truly humble, uh, we go about our day seeking to do what Jesus called us to do in in the highest and the second highest commandments, yeah. which is to love God and to love others. Mm-hmm. And I think when our lives become God-centric and other-centric, mm-hmm. humility naturally flows out from that. Yeah. And so like what I'm really opposed to is I'm really opposed to, you know, from the pulpit or even a moment like this, like really being very precise and prescriptive mm-hmm. with like, here's what humility looks like. Yeah. Because what our hearts tend to do is they tend to grab onto those yep. things and be like, well, now since I'm doing this thing, I am being yeah. humble. Mm-hmm. I-, I think unless we are um, fully positioned and humble before God and have this mm-hmm. magnificent view of who God is, yeah. and and we are in a posture of humility and awe before who God is, mm-hmm. and, and, and how do we do that? We do that again by looking yeah. to Jesus, right? We look at the example of Jesus and who he is and we sit yeah. back and we are humbled and we are like like that that is my god mm-hmm. and 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 I want to not only be like him but I want to worship him. Yeah. And when that's when our hearts are positioned. I mean this is why if you've grown up in church people are like read the bible every morning. It's not just yeah. to check something off the list. It's because the bible is the clearest representation for mm-hmm. us of who our god is. Yeah. And and in order to acquaint ourselves with that because we are very forgetful people. In order to acquaint ourselves with that reality every single day, um, drinking in God's scriptures, spending time with him in prayer, that realigns our hearts to um, get into the position to be reminded 
that we are not the center of the universe. When we go about our lives living as though we are the center of the universe, and what do I have to get done today? And, and what is today going to look like? Um, how am I going to be happy or pleased with how today unfolds? Um, when, when, when we go about um, our lives that way, um, that is prideful. Mm-hmm. That's pride. Pride is not like the dude who's wear, always wearing like the nicest clothes and driving mm-hmm. the nicest car and yeah. acting like a total jerk. I, that is pride. <laughs> that can be for sure mm-hmm. pride. Yeah. But pride, pride can... Pride is is just like humility is the root of all Christian virtue. Pride is the root of every sin. I mean, mm-hmm. these two things are are diametrically opposed yeah. to one another. And so humility, what does it look like in our day-to-day lives? I think it looks like I forgot about myself all day mm-hmm. and the Lord took care of me and I loved yeah. others and it was a beautiful day. And I think that's where resilient joy, yeah. that's where we can truly experience that that joy that Paul experienced. Yeah. That is so cool. And when I, I loved what you said about nowadays we have a hard time when we think about Jesus and putting him in a, a God box mm-hmm. and how back then mm-hmm. they were almost flip of that going, how can this be a man? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and when you think about that, what you're, what you're really just talking about right there, as far as Jesus was there to serve, he had humility and, and with everyone he encountered, it was about them. Mm-hmm. And my, I, I have a hard time with my brain wrapping around the concept of Jesus modeled such humility, yet everyone was so drawn to him. Of course. How can yeah. you not be drawn to a humble person? <laughs> well, and again, because it's it's yeah. it's like that. It it seems to be that that's not the way life works currently. Yeah. It's and what I mean by that mm-hmm. is yes, you you see a humble person, and and I, I don't know, maybe you're different, but I'm like they're such a cool person. Yeah, you know. I th- but what I don't I think, usually go, gosh, I got to be around that person all the time. But well, I, I, I think that if your heart is seeking life and goodness and truth and beauty and joy, yeah. you are drawn to that person. Mm-hmm, totally. I think if your heart is seeking status, you're drawn to the person who's placing themselves in the center yeah. of the room as the model of status because that's what you want. Mm-hmm. We are drawn yeah. to the kind of people that we want to become like. True humility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, I th- and I think that um, what you... What you were talking about, Michael, got me thinking about it's it's super hard to find the humble people because of the prideful people are in the center of the room, right? And mm. they're the loud voices and we're surrounded um, by culture like social media. You, you only see the prideful people, right? Like yeah. they get pushed up in the algorithm, the people that have the answer to everything. Here's how you're going to make $100,000 passively. Like come follow my 10 steps, stuff like sure. that. Yeah. And like – once I think everyone has the same reaction when they meet a truly humble person. Like I just talked to Michael and oh my gosh, like this guy is different, but it's so hard because humility is really thinking of yourself less and you're Mm -hmm. not going to be that loudest voice and it's hard to find them. So I think that, you know, Jesus was this like hidden gem that people didn't know about, right? Mm -hmm. Cause of, because of his humility and he wasn't out there proclaiming, you know, here's how to make a hundred thousand dollars passively, right. To all the people. And I think that, it is what makes these humble people very attractive, but they're hard to find because of the pride versus humility. Um, I wanted to move along to the um, the next um, kind of point in the message where you talked about the posture of humility enables us to experience resilient joy. Mm-hmm. Um, can I just break that down? Like I'm, I'm a five year old. Why exactly does humility enable us to experience 
Brazilian okay. joy. Yeah, that's a really good question. Why does humility allow us to experience mm-hmm. above joy? other attributes and, and characteristics? Right. What is it about humility? Yeah, um, man, I I don't know exactly yeah. entirely what mm-hmm. it is about humility. Um, yeah. Other than I think it is uh, simply part of God's design for our souls. Mm-hmm. I, I think again to um, place it uh, against pride. Uh, pride, yeah. for whatever reason, uh, whatever it does to our souls, um, hardens our heart to truly experience the presence, mm-hmm. the promises, and people of God. And and even just kind of talking it out right now, I think it makes makes some sense because when we are prideful, um, we we are um, self sustaining. Mm-hmm. We are trying to blaze our own trail. We are constantly thinking of ourselves. And so, if those things are true then like we are not going to stop and say, you know what I need to experience actual joy is the presence of God. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I actually need to um, get through day after day? um, Mm -hmm. uh, The promises of God, because I'm relying on myself. And you know who I don't need are other people or the people Mm -hmm. of God, because I've got myself and I've got the things um, that I'm going after. And so however, whatever pride does to our hearts and our souls, um, it, it seals us off from Mm -hmm. experiencing those things. Whereas humility, um, again, however it operates inside our actual souls, which are real things that we have, um, it opens us up to experience, uh, those things. Yeah. Yeah. And along with that question you're asking, and to kind of back up, you talked about unity at one point in time. And and if I remember the message correctly, paraphrasing it, you had said something to the the effect of unity is not possible without humility. I'm Mm -hmm. totally paraphrasing that, of course. The focus for, sorry. True unity. True unity. unity. The foundation of unity is humility. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, when we're talking resilient joy, this supernatural delight, Mm -hmm. if there's discord among us, of course, we're not going to be, we're not going to have delight, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Yeah. So that's that. I just thought I'd add that to that as well. Yeah. I do think that like you can see something that might resemble unity and maybe it's just uniformity. Um, And like I gave like some brief examples, like terrorist groups and criminals, Mm -hmm. just to kind of say like, you know, all all spectrums, good to evil, Mm -hmm. can experience some degree of like togetherness around a common goal. Mm -hmm. But I think authentic, true unity, uh, like what Paul is calling us to when he says, complete my joy and be Mm like-minded, that can only be experienced uh, amongst the people who who are growing in humility. And and that's a that's a that's a, that's an important thing to to say here, is that like humility is not a state, entirely. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes in our kind of modern Western minds that are very influenced with Greek philosophy, we come at things from like there is a perfection, there yeah. is a state to which I must arrive. Whereas what we see in more ancient Hebrew thought and in Jesus thought is that there is, it's, it's a journey, it's a progression, it's a movement, right? Mm -hmm. And so with humility, it's not like, how can I get to the spot where I am humble, but Mm -hmm. is my posture or is the direction of my life moving toward, um, increased humility? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. And I think that um, where my brain goes to with with humility and resilient joy is, um, I think, obviously the opposite, or at least what we're calling the opposite of humility, pride, right? Pride is, um, we've been taught and and fed this idea of like, you got to go out and get yours. Like you are entitled Mm -hmm. to whatever you can dream up, right? Like that is... That is what we're taught in movies and books. It's also the American dream. Like, Get your go, piece of the pie. Exactly, right? Yep. And I think that um, 
inevitably, like that is a trail of, of heartache and sorrow because you are going to face many, many setbacks and you're going to question yourself and your ability of, am I just not good enough to go out and get this thing that I've put my, my eyes on and this is mm-hmm. the dream that I deserve? Um, whereas humility and, and lowering yourself and understanding like, my my role as a as a Christ follower is to be used by Jesus, and that is the goal of my life, and that is what I yearn for. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's it's tempering expectations, like we talked about last week. But also, I mean, it, I think it does open up for resilient joy and for just joy in your life because you're not so focused on this purposely unattainable finish line. You're you're happy with what comes with the journey of following Jesus. Well, you're getting at you're getting at an important thing there, Hayden, and that's this idea of like what Greek philosophers would call our telos mm-hmm. or our end, yeah. uh, to which we live, and that that I really do think is at the epicenter and the secret of Paul's joy is his yeah. telos, mm-hmm. um, which is um, anything that advances the gospel. Mm-hmm. Like that's good for Paul, yeah. And I think we can talk about that theoretically, yeah, um, or theologically, yeah. And um, what that looks like in our actual lives, where yeah. that's the, that's our terminal end in our life, mm-hmm. is to see the gospel of Jesus Christ's kingdom advance. Mm-hmm. And when that is our end point for our life, when we desire to see that yeah. um, happen in our lives, that's when we that's when we can experience joy. That's when yeah. we know that like God in His providence is working um, all mm-hmm. things together for yeah. for the good of those that love Him and that yeah. are called according to His purposes. And so, yeah, when our end is uh, a worldly gain, security in this world, to be seen as someone important, uh, you mm-hmm. know, there's so much talk about legacy and how will you be remembered. And that's something that I think so many of us are thinking of in the back of our minds. Um, yeah, you might actually achieve it. Like mm-hmm. there might be ups and downs, right? There's ups and downs in everyone's lives. Yeah. You might actually achieve it. You might kind of be sitting in, uh, in retirement and yeah. enjoying life. And that might've been the end to which you lived for. And there is some degree of like happiness in that. Yeah. There's no doubt, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, there is some level, but I do think that there is also um, this feeling of emptiness. Mm-hmm. Like this is, this is, this is what I gave my yeah. life for this, this end of comfort yeah. and mm-hmm. security in the means of this world. Can't yeah. take it with you. Oh, you can. Yeah, and I wanted to also ask, kind of along these lines, what would you say to someone if they said to you, I hear what you're talking about with regard to finding joy through humility, but in the past I, I've approached life with a sense of humility and been hurt, mm-hmm. and I'm afraid to j- enter back into that again. What would you say to someone like that? I mean, that is, that is, that's a fantastic question because it's, mm-hmm. it's reality. Yeah. And what I would say is um, that is the way of the cross. Yeah. That is mm-hmm. a cross-shaped life. And um, I don't feel like fully comfortable talking through right now just because I, I, I don't feel like I would do it justice mm-hmm. to, you know, well, I don't want to be a doormat and that whole conversation. We yeah. briefly touched on that in our Summer mm-hmm. on the Mount series. Yeah. Uh, but there is a level, there is a component where that is the way of the cross. The way of the cross is a way of weakness. Mm-hmm. It's a way of opening ourselves up yeah. to um, being hurt by this world. And Jesus said, like, when you suffer in my name, like if we are approaching humility, not just for the sake of humility, but to grow in Christ-likeness, to grow yeah. in greater awe and worship of God, that when we are hurt in the name of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. um, that, that there is joy and honor yeah. in that. Yeah. Well, this is... Uh, tangential since uh, you threw that out, Michael. But I just think about also in those moments of um, when you do have those questions and, and you're, you decide to follow Jesus and 
through following him, it, lo- it leads to heartbreak and sorrow. And I think our first instinct when that happens is like, either I did something wrong or I was taught something wrong. Yeah. And, I, and I go back to the examples that we have of Jesus when his followers ask earnest questions and honest questions, that he never shuts them down or just shoots them down. Like the only time we really see Jesus um, heated and angry is at the people who are so assured of what they know and mm-hmm. what to do. Um, and I think that that's something that that's a posture that we can adopt as Christ followers of earnestly going before God and asking these questions, right? Of, I I don't know why I did this or why I was led down this route, God. And it led to heartache and sorrow. And I think that that's what we see an image of Jesus, right? Like he feels the pain that we are experiencing and he's open to um, us coming to him earnestly and honestly with, you know, I don't know why this happened and I don't know why I'm experiencing this. And I don't think he's ever shut any of us down for those questions, right? No, he absolutely hasn't. And Jesus says, in this world, he says it. Like, he, mm-hmm. these are like the literal words of Jesus. Mm-hmm. He says, in this world, you will encounter yeah. troubles, mm-hmm. but do not be troubled because I have overcome yep. the world. And I think as, a, as human beings, we are naturally averse to suffering. But mm-hmm. in our day and age, we are so averse to suffering. Yeah. We, we are in the most... We are in like the wealthiest, most comfortable position of any society in human yeah. civilization. Mm-hmm. And so so any sort of hardship, any sort of suffering, we bristle against it because it is so against the norm. Mm. Um, and so I, I, I was watching this movie the other night called Silence by Martin Scorsese. And it's about these Jesuit priests who are going to recover a priest that was lost, you know, in persecution in Japan. Ten out of these ten missionaries. Movie. Have you watched it? Yeah. It is. I've only made it two thirds of the way through because it's like a three hour long film. It, but like, um, you know, they they go there and obviously like the priests begin to like understand what it really means to suffer for Christ. But they go yeah. to these Japanese fishing villages mm-hmm. and these these um, uh, Japanese people have been converted to Christianity and they are suffering for the sake yep. of the gospel and they are full of like joy and resilience mm-hmm. and this desire to to worship. Mm-hmm. And you watch this and you're like, you're like, well, that because all they have is Christ. Mm. And, and I think that that is the place where all of us should long to be yeah. is, is, is in a spot where it's like, Lord, if I had nothing else, if you took everything away from me and all I had was you, Jesus, would I be in a spot? Make me so that I would just be so full of joy and yeah. so content because I still have you. And the beautiful thing is nothing can take him away from us. Yeah. So cool. Um, I wanted to get into the the end of the message, but we're we're coming um, to our time at the end of the podcast. But I just thought, um, could we talk through um, verses six through eleven? Because that's where you get to the spot of um, this poem is a picture of what God is like, and then this poem is a picture of what um, is a picture about us. Mm-hmm. Um, six through eleven, if if I'm correct it's even got a different formatting than the rest of the text, right? Yeah, it's it's written in stanzas. It's written yes. in, in poetic form. So um, can you kind of just describe what's going on um, from a maybe syntax or literary point of view in that chunk of scripture? Because we get very normal formatting, what we're typically used to seeing in the mm-hmm. Bible, and then... Um, Paul breaks down 6 through 11 in a unique way. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the if you could guess, or maybe you know the answer, what is the reason why he shifted his typical writing there? Yeah, so scholars speculate as to why Paul switches to this kind of poetic verse. 
and some think that um, and it's and it's informed conjecture, but like some think that Paul actually wrote this poem uh, yeah. to describe Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, others think that this might have been like a common hymn uh, amongst oh, early yeah. believers that they sang, and so he's kind of like, "Hey, remember this song?" Like almost like putting in some song lyrics yeah. of the sort, and being like, "These, you know, these things that we sing, like as I'm calling you, right?" And we have to remember it's in context; it's not just kind of like boilerplate. Like yeah. all of a sudden, here's some Christology. Here's who Jesus mm-hmm. is because I'm teaching yeah. you theology. Yeah. Paul is teaching theology, but like I said uh, in the message, a- anytime theology is done well, it's like in the weeds. It's in yeah. our flesh and blood experience of reality. And so like theology in a vacuum, like that leads usually to like a pretty angry heart, yeah. uh, at least what I've seen. But anyway, Paul, he jumps in here and and he unpacks like who Jesus is like in poetic form, because for whatever reason, uh, the spirit inspiring him was like, I'm drawing, like, I want you to be like-minded. I want mm-hmm. you to be humble and put others' interest in front of your own. Yeah. And I'm going to point you to the perfect example. Now, Paul was an awesome example of that, but Paul's like, but like the best example is obviously Jesus. And so he just goes through, right? Like verses six through 11. And he describes who Jesus is, who though he existed in the form of God, like he is God. Like Paul is trying Mm -hmm. to emphasize like this Jesus that many of you have uh, heard of through me, he he was, he is God, um, but he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Um, Other ways of understanding that are like he didn't um, use his divinity as something to be exploited. He didn't use his rights and privileges to his own advantage, which is a whole separate conversation regarding humility and our current um, kind of modern Western understanding of rights and whatnot. Um, uh, but then he, um, he goes on further and he explains like who this Jesus was. And then he pivots, right? He, he kind of has this full, the, the, kind of the center point of the poem or like yeah. the fulcrum of the poem is in, um, verse eight where he says he humbled himself, right? Like that's like the pinnacle of the poem. And he's like, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And in kind of like the, po- like the, the, um, there is actual, um, man, it, the, the, wor- the word fails me right now, mm-hmm. but um, meter. There is actual mm, like yeah. meter in the original Greek language here, but then it's, it's disrupted. The actual meter of the poem is disrupted when Paul says, even death on a cross. Mm. So like in your, um, in your translations, it you know, probably has like an M dash there. Yeah. And it says, even death on a cross. And the disruption of meter was to like emphasize like this most disruptive point in the life yeah. of Christ and in history. Where, where Christ died on the cross. Like he, he humbled himself to the point of death and not just death, like all of a sudden the meter shifts and says yeah. even death, death on a cross. On cross. And then he pivots to, to, to the exaltation and glorification uh, of Jesus there mm. in the last three verses yeah. of the poem. Yeah, so I mean, looking through it and reading it, it's very clear um, that that is a picture of what God is like. So what is the, um, what part of that is a picture of us? Yeah, um, so it's verse five. Verse five, where he says, you should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus yeah. had. Okay. And that's, that's, that's the picture for us. Mm. Because a lot of times when, when people dig into this text, they're like, they, they say, here is Jesus, here is Jesus. And that is like 100% accurate. Like for mm-hmm. sure, this is like one of the most dense, theologically dense passages mm-hmm. that we have on like the nature of Jesus Christ. They call it the hypostatic union, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, how he's fully God and fully man. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is also in context of passages pastoral exhortation to the Philippians and by God's grace and through his spirit Mm -hmm. to us as well, uh, that this is the mind that we are to have. And so not only do we look to Christ, but then we do have to take what we see in Christ and bring it into the actual flesh and blood reality of our own lives. Mm. And we have to, we have to live that out. We have to do what Christ did. 
Well, I think that covers um, as much of the message as we can get into. Is there anything else before we close out from Michael or Ryan? No, I, I, I feel like we really dug into a lot of deep topics yeah. here on this podcast. <laughs> good follow-up. Yeah, yeah. This, has been, this, has been a, this has been a good one. Yeah, sweet. Well, thank you guys for listening or watching the follow-up podcast, and we will see you guys next week. 